J.D. John, F.J. at OffBeatOregon.com, and this is the Daily Offbeat Oregon History Podcast. It's Monday, so this is an archive show. First published as a newspaper column sometime in the last 10 years. Thanks for downloading, and I hope you enjoy the show. This story was first published on May 31st of 2015 under the headline, FBI's Most Wanted Gangster Was Busted in Beaverton. Here we go. The contractors were getting ready to wrap up work for the day when several visitors arrived at the job site, a house on Shoals Ferry Road near Beaverton. The newcomers were a small group of serious-looking men in conservative, well-fitting suits, accompanied by the worker's boss, Charles Robinson. Robinson sought out one of his employees, a 55-year-old plasterer named John McCullough. McCullough, though he'd only been on the job for three months, was already one of Robinson's best men. He was quiet, easygoing, hardworking, sober, and reliable. Robinson led his well-dressed visitors to McCullough and introduced them as FBI agents. The other workers on the job watched with astonishment as the agents arrested McCullough and led him away. They'd been kidding him for days about his uncanny resemblance to a picture that had run in the Portland Morning Oregonian a couple of days earlier under the headline, Accused Murderer of Three Tops FBI List of Wanted Criminals. Maybe there'd been something in that resemblance after all, they thought. The picture had been identified as Thomas James Holden, and the resemblance to McCullough had been quite startling. Holden could have been McCullough's twin brother. Holden, the newspaper said, was wanted for gunning down his wife and two brothers-in-law during a drunken family argument. He had apparently shot each of them once with a thirty-eight, and with his fourth shot grazed the cheek of his sister-in-law. Four shots, three dead then he'd fled and disappeared. The newspaper said Holden was a train robber, a serial bank robber, and a, quote, product of the mad dog days of gangsterism, who had been caught, sentenced to a long stretch at Leavenworth, escaped, and subsequently helped perpetrate a sensational armed prison breakout in 1931. Recaptured, Holden had been sent to the Fed's maximum security prison, Alcatraz, where he served for about a decade. He was finally paroled in 1947. It had been 18 months later that he'd committed the shocking triple murder for which he was now wanted. The newspaper also quoted the FBI, calling Holden, quote, One man whose freedom in society is a menace to every man, woman, and child in America. Such a criminal resume formed quite a startling contrast with the mild-mannered McCullough that the other men on the plastering crew knew. They never once thought that they might be the same man, despite the eerie similarities but they teased him about it, an activity that was made even more fun by the fact that he apparently had no idea what they were talking about. He had not, it seemed, read Wednesday's paper. If he had, he would have disappeared immediately, he later told authorities. McCullough at first tried to stick to his story. He was John R. McCullough, he insisted, just a laborer who'd come to Portland three months before from Butte, Montana, to find work. But when they reached the FBI office and he learned how much they knew about him, he broke down and copped to it. Holden's landlady was shocked by the news. He'd been renting a tiny cabin from her in Sano's Motel and Trailer Park since first coming to town. 
Quote, he was a model tenant, she told the Oregonian. I suspect a lot of people about being crooks, but not this one. I'm a little shocked. I took his rent every week. He was always happy and singing Irish folk songs. He had a good enough voice to be an opera. Holden had been the first man ever put on the FBI's 10 most wanted list, and he was among the first to be caught. His distinctive appearance made identification an absolute breeze. His mugshot shows a wide and flat forehead, low and straight brow ridge, preternaturally straight mouth, in all startlingly similar to Boris Karloff playing Frankenstein's monster in the iconic 1931 movie. Not much is known about Holden's story other than what's in the police reports, but we do know that the wife he shot during that drunken argument was the woman who'd faithfully waited 16 years for him to get out of prison. During his time on Alcatraz, his only visitor was his son, Tommy, a U.S. Army private who'd grown into a man with his father behind bars. And we also know that Holden got a telegram from his mother in 1945, telling him Tommy was dying and asking to see him. Of course, he couldn't come. Five days later, the young soldier died. So by the time Holden had arrived in Portland, he wasn't what he once had been. What the FBI assumed he still was. No dashing sociopath was he, but a lonely, broken old man, eking out a perilous living at hard labor, living paycheck to paycheck in a trailer park. He'd lost everyone who'd known and cared about him, all through his own doing, through murder or through neglect. He was a walking, talking, cautionary tale for any young buck thinking of embarking on a life of crime. So now, caught at last and for the final time, looking tired and resigned to his fate, Holden signed the extradition papers that would send him back to Chicago to stand trial for the triple murder. With his sister-in-law's testimony, it was not a difficult case for the prosecution to win. He was sent to the Illinois State Prison, knowing it would be his home for the rest of his life. It was. He died there just two years later. Key sources in this story have included works by David Ward and the Portland Morning Oregonian, along with FBI.gov. That's our show for today. Thanks again for listening. This podcast is part of Offbeat Oregon History, a public history resource for the state we love. What you've been listening to is one of more than 500 stories originally created and published as newspaper columns in first-run syndication between 2008 and today. You can read them all at offbeatoregon.com. Other Offbeat Oregon goodies include an active Facebook page, a Twitter feed, a ton of historic photos, and a bunch more stuff. Plus a book including visuals for today's show and full citations to sources. All these things are accessible via our hub page at offbeatoregon.com. This podcast is covered under a Creative Commons license. For details, see offbeatoregon.com cc. Our theme music is by the Atlas String Band and was written by Carmen Facara. Listen and download more at atlasstringband.com. Questions, critiques, ideas for a future episode? Email me at fj at offbeatoregon.com. Episodes of Offbeat Oregon History are uploaded around 6 a.m. every weekday, so the next one will be on your device and ready to go before you know it. Until then, go out and fill up the rest of the day with good stuff. Bye now. (laughs) ¶¶